Let's open our Bibles together today to the book of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. We started our first teaching series together last Sunday, and we're calling it City of Angels. And no, we're not talking about a baseball team or a soccer team, even though we're starting to love Angel City FC. And actually, somebody sent me a text. Um, I don't know who it was, but um, they sent me a text of this picture of a decadent pile of angel food cake. And the, 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 the heading said, City of Angel Food Cake. So <laughs> glad I inspired somebody last week with the, the series. But we're, we're looking at some of the angel passages in the Bible to see some images or some pictures of what God is calling us to do and be as a new church. Uh, last Sunday, we looked at the picture from Luke 22 when Jesus was praying his agonizing prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the scripture says that an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And we are going to be a people that pours strength into hurting people. That's going to be a central image of who we are as a congregation. And today we'll look at another uh, image from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I've become your father, or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And in speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. If your life had a subtitle, what would it be? If they were making a, too long, <laughs> what you said? If they were making a, a movie of your life, what would the subtitle be? Mal Johnson, Man on a Mission, <laughs> or you know, Linda Wallace, Lifting the Generations. Uh, if, 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 if Hebrews had a subtitle, the subtitle to the book of Hebrews would no doubt be Jesus is Better. The entire book of Hebrews is a presentation of the superiority of Jesus. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the Old Testament law. Jesus is better than the tabernacle. He's better than the priesthood. And according to these opening verses, Jesus is even better than the angels. And that's actually pretty remarkable when we understand what the Bible says about angels. I know in our popular culture, uh, angels have some, some common appearances and there's some mythology. Uh, so, some of the angels that we see in pop culture, they, they look like little chubby babies 
gazing thoughtfully off into the distance. And that's one common little image of angels. Or, of course, we also have the, the gentle motherly angel guiding the little children across the rickety bridge. And nobody ever knows why they're on that bridge in the middle of the night, but at least there's a little angelic mom watching over them. But, but some, people like the, some people like the image of a little angel that looks like you. And it sits on your shoulder telling you to be good. And then there's a little devilish you on the other shoulder telling you to be bad. But in the Bible, though, angels were fierce. The first time an angelic being shows up in the Bible, it's in Genesis chapter 3, when God stationed cherubim and a flaming sword to guard the path to the tree of life. If you remember the text, after Adam and Eve had been damaged... After humanity was damaged and broken by sin, God did not want them to eat from the tree of life and then live in that state perpetually. So he stationed cherubim to, to deny access to the tree of life. In Exodus 14, an angel stood in between the nation of Israel and Pharaoh's chariots and armies, and this angel created a wall of protection so that Israel could cross the Red Sea safely. In Isaiah 37, there's a fascinating story, a bizarre story, where in one night, one angel massacred 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. It's a bizarre story, but you know what's really interesting? Outside histories affirm that event. They don't say it was an angel, but that event happened in history. So outside histories, outside from the Bible... They say there must have been this incredibly lethal, fast-acting bubonic plague that must have swept through the Assyrian army. Um, in Acts chapter 12, the apostle Peter is in jail, and an angel rescues him. And when this angel kicks him and gets him to wake up, the, he, he starts walking him out of the jail. Doors that are locked start opening before this angel. In Daniel chapter 3, if you remember the story when Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael a.k.a. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were thrown into the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow down before King Nebuchadnezzar's statue, there was a fourth man waiting for them in the flames. It's kind of a funny story, if you remember, and our kids in children's church probably know the story. They're thrown into this fiery furnace, and when these young men realized that the flames weren't harming them, they weren't being burned up, they just kind of hung out in the fire for a while. The Bible says they actually kind of started walking around. I don't know if they were fist bumping or high-fiving, but, but, but they stayed there until the king said, come out of there. Now, we don't know who the fourth man was. It might have been Jesus. If it was Jesus, it would have been what we call a theophany or a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, meaning Jesus showing up to someone before his advent in human history. But, but if it wasn't Jesus, it was an angel. And whether it was Jesus or an angel, those are the kinds of things that angels did in the scriptures. In Daniel chapter 6, when Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, he said there was an angel in there with him that kept the mouths of the lions shut so they couldn't devour him. So angels carried God's messages to people and they protected people. Now, the idea of us having a guardian angel 
is a little bit more pop culture-ish than it is biblical, but there are some verses in the Bible that, that give some weight to the idea of people having guardian angels. In fact, in Matthew 18, 10, um, Jesus is talking about um, little children, and he says that these little ones uh, have angels in heaven that always see the face of my father. In Psalm 91, he says, God will give his angels a command concerning you to protect you in all of your ways. And when Jesus, uh, or when Peter was rescued from the prison in Acts 12, he starts knocking on the door where all of his friends were gathered. They couldn't believe it was him, so they said, it must be his angel. So the Bible, it, the Bible tells us what we need to know about a particular subject. It doesn't tell us everything we want to know. I wish the Bible told us more about angels, but the Bible does assume the reality of angels. The Bible assumes the, the truth that we are not alone in the universe as beings who can have an awareness of and a connection with deity. And in Mark chapter 12, there's the most curious statement made by Jesus Jesus is being asked questions about marriage in the afterlife. What's up with marriage and the resurrection? Are we going to be married? Are we not? And Jesus said something. I wish he explained it more. But he said, no, no, you're missing, you're missing something here. He said, in that time, we will be, you will be like the angels. I don't know what that means. But, but, but apparently, if that's part of what we will be like and what God's calling us to, then it might not hurt to do a study on angels to, to get some snapshots of what they're like and what maybe God is calling us to be like. And, and so this morning, um, uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 7, that there's a powerful description that I want us to think about. It says, in speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. God's angels... We're talking about being a city filled with angels. God's angels, first and foremost, are God's servants. He makes his angels' spirits, his servants, flames of fire. People have said that we humans are never more like God than when we serve. Because God is love, and love is serving in action. If you love someone, you will serve them, period. Relationship counselors know that you cannot say, I love you with all my heart. I love you with everything in my being, but I won't prioritize what you're asking of me. I won't serve you. I won't actually do the things that I know you need me to do. You, you can't do that. Uh, love serves. When it's in the noun form, we call it love. When it's in the verb form, it's serve. And I want you to think about this. It says, he makes his servants a flame of fire serving. And everybody can serve. Do you remember Dr. Martin Luther King's famous statement? Anybody can be great because everybody can serve. Serving is the way that God is best represented in the world. Think about this with me. Out of all of the ways that Jesus could have come to earth, 
out of all of the ways that he could have chosen to reveal the heart of God, when he came to make the introduction between God and humans, he came as a servant. There's something about acts of service that immediately bring a person closer to the heart and the nature and the identity of God. Let let me read some very familiar verses in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Serving is the way that Jesus chose to introduce humans to God. Have you ever had a a terrible experience with a server at a restaurant? (laughs) Were any of you servers at a restaurant at some point in your life? How many of you are still traumatized? I, I was a server at a steak and seafood restaurant in college for a couple of years. It is so stressful. Are, are you ex-servers? Are you so kind to servers now? You, you tip big because you know what they're going through. But, but you know what? Sometimes the server makes or breaks the experience. We were at a restaurant the other day, and this young woman who was our server was a fan of the football team that was being aired on the screen. And she was wearing the jersey. She was all excited. They seated us right during the final minutes of the game. She came up. She took our order. We never saw her again. (laughs) Actually, the game ended right as our meal ended. And then she walked up. How was everything today? (laughs) Um, A poor serving experience frustrates the soul, doesn't it? And and it's, it's not because we're selfish. I really want us to understand something about the cosmic aspect of serving. It's not that my water should be refilled as soon as I take a sip. or I better have that ranch before my fries are cold. We're not talking about being grouchy or mean or selfish. No, there's something about serving that, that frustrates the soul when it's not there. When somebody cuts you off on the freeway, or you've stood, you've waited in line forever for your exit, and then they zoom up at the end and get in front of you, you get angrier than that moment deserves. You get angrier than 1.5 seconds of delay is actually worth. (laughs) The reason is because God chose serving other humans as a vehicle where something sovereign can go through. So if you show up at a new place, a new industry, a new venue, and they act like they don't even see you and nobody tells you where to go, where to put your stuff, what to do, what comes next. It it, it discourages the soul. But when you show up and they've been waiting for you, oh, wait, over here. Let let me tell you where to go. Oh, this is what you do. Don't worry about that. Follow this. It's like, oh, it's, it's vacation. And we don't love that because we think we're special. We love it because serving is special. God established acts of service 
as the way to introduce people to something and someone so much greater. Um, There's a man who works at one of the crunch gyms in the area where I work out, and he's fascinating. Uh, he, he cleans. He cleans the lockers. He cleans the, the, the equipment. And I watch him every day. He, he's, he's amazing. He's courteous, quick, kind. He calls me sir, which I don't love. But he greets me every day. He, he's so efficient. He's so excellent. I watched him the other day, and I thought, He would not be any more dignified if he was in a suit walking through the halls of Congress than he is walking through this gym. So I went up to him and I said, hey, I got a strange question. Are are you a Christian? And he looked at me and he goes, yes, I am. And I said, I knew it because you're working in a way that lets me know you know what work is. And you're serving in a way that tells me that you are serving something so much greater than a health club. I'm actually thinking about talking to Mal about having this guy speak at one of our Better Man sessions. Um, I I don't know know what kind of grade God would give the the big C church over the last few years with COVID and elections and cultural upheaval. You know, God doesn't post his grades on Sunday nights like some professors do. I, I wish he would. I don't know how God would grade the church. I don't know where we were weak or fearful or selfish or timid or amazing. I have no idea. I do know that there will be other COVIDs and there will be other elections and there will be other painful cultural moments. And I so hope that the culture's judgment on the church would be, agree with them or not, those people serve. Like them or not, believe in the message or not, they certainly live their message of unconditional love. Those acts, those postures build bridges. Those postures open doors. He makes his messengers, his angels, servants because servanthood opens a door for a message. Um, I want to ask you today, if, if you would be willing to up your serving game with me in a couple of areas. God could have commissioned his, his angels in a lot of roles, but he commissioned them as servants, flames of fire. So simple message today. Would you be willing to up your serving game in three areas? Number one, in your home or in your inner circle. Would you be willing to take some inventory of your life today? and ask, would the people who are closest to me say that my acts of service back up my kind and loving words? You know, it's it's kind of funny. Uh, Words without actions are eventually meaningless. If I say, I love you, I love you, I love you, but I never actually serve you, my, my, my love is actually hollow at some point. But acts of service always speak. And if I serve you, you'll know that I love you. Now, if you're a words of affirmation person in the love languages, you still need to hear the words. But, but, but words without actions are eventually meaningless. Actions always speak. So I, I love the statement that the true definition of success is when the people who know you the best respect you the most. That comes from serving. That comes from giving your life for the people that you love. So, so can we up our game in the inner circle of our lives? Number two, can we up our game at work and in the community around us? 
I, I love that Latin phrase, soli deo gloria, for God's glory alone. You can clean a health club to the glory of God. You can make meals for tiny children for the glory of God. I know there are some jobs and occupations that tend towards serving more than others. Servers, first responders, caregivers. Jessica worked at Danbury Elementary School in Claremont for five years. She worked with the severely physically disabled children, which was very emotional for her and us, but very special because our first daughter was very severely physically disabled. And, and so that's obviously a job that lends itself toward um, overt acts of service, but you can coach to the glory of God. You can serve your athletes. You can serve your students and serve your classroom. And the more we serve, the more we build a pathway for people to connect with the presence and the character and the heart of God. Um, number three, last thought. Uh, actually, on the worship team, you can start coming back up here. And I'm just calling you up so people know that I'm about done. That always buys a preacher about another 12 minutes. <laughs> How about in our new church? Would you be willing to up your serving game in our new church? You know, we keep saying that this is a new church. It's actually two old churches coming together to make something new. And the challenge with having two old churches coming together is everybody's already done their tours of duty. You've already served in the nursery. You've already set up chairs. You've already led a small group. You've been there, done that, and that's awesome. But, but if we're going to do more than just have church, we're going to need an army of people committed to serving. Last Sunday, how many of you were here last Sunday? Last Sunday was electric up here. The reason it was so alive was because there was a ton of people that wanted it to be alive. There were a ton of people that wanted this to be amazing. Movements are begun and sustained when a whole group of people want to start a movement. A movement isn't sustained when, a, when some people gather and you stick a couple of people out there to pass out bulletins. You, you need to have an army of people. This is going to be amazing. Um, this is going to be great. And, and that's what we're longing for. That's what we're, we're waiting for. So I want to ask in my final thought here today, um, would you be willing to re-up? Would you be willing to re-enlist and sustain a movement level of commitment for about the next hundred years? <laughs> for some of you, maybe the next 20 or 30, and then we'll let you go. But um, we are not doing this church merger just to do church. Both of our churches needed each other. Baseline needed us. Grace needed Baseline. This is helping us. Being one church will be wonderful. But we don't want to just be helped. We don't just want to be in a better place. We want synergy. Synergy was the word we used in our feasibility talks. One plus one, when synergy is in effect, does not equal two. Synergy is the idea that when multiple forces come together, the result is greater than the sum of their respective parts. So if this church works the way it's supposed to, it won't just be a church, it will be a movement. And one plus one won't be two, it will be three or four or more. But it won't happen unless I'm willing to re-up and you're willing to re-up. And so um, we're gonna start hitting everybody up over the next few weeks to, to help us serve. By the time we move into the sanctuary, and we'll be in two services in the sanctuary, we would love to have plenty of people serving our children, 
working as greeters, filling up our small groups, a whole roster of people ready to serve for a new era and a new, and a new time. Um, at the end of the service, we're going to throw a QR code up on the screen, and you techie people can scan that to see a whole list of where we can serve. Any of you other people, um, you can go to the info hub and you can actually sign with ink on paper. And, and, but let's all serve. Jesus took on the form of a servant. He thought out of all the ways to best capture the hearts of humanity, I'm going to serve. And he introduced God to us. And, and who wouldn't want a God of unconditional love who actually wants to serve you into life? So would you stand with me?